Merkel Media. This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. But the giant moves, he's got a spear in one hand and he's running really fast and spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody yells, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blowed his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush and I touch air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. Yep. 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 Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I'm your host, Tony Merkel. Thanks for being here. If you have a crazy, wild experience you want to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is contact at theconfessionalspodcast.com. That's contact at theconfessionalspodcast.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the contact section and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me, just get a hold of me. Listen, friends, we got member episodes every Thursday available to the members to theconfessionalspodcast.com. If you're interested in checking out the membership section, you can go to theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the join button and get access to every Thursday bonus episode ever to exist. Plus, you get access to ad-free listening of the Tuesday shows and overtime segments of those Tuesday shows when they're available. And to let you know, It's going to be available on the Confessionals app very, very soon. In fact, you can download the Confessionals app right now from the Apple App Store and Android App Store. But if you're not a member, you'll never be able to get access to it. And even if you are a member, you can't get into it because I have it locked down. You are not able to access it yet because it is in beta test mode. I have a select few people beta testing it right now, checking it out, seeing if there's any problems with it. And right now we're getting a lot of green lights. So this app might be available as early as this coming Thursday for the members. And definitely within the next two weeks, we're dropping this app, baby. It is going to happen. I'm very excited about it. And you should be too if you're a member. It is a member's exclusive app. So if you're not a member, you will not be able to log into it. If you are a member, you can't log in yet, but soon you will be able to. And you'll have all the information you need to get into the app when it's available. So look forward to that. An app coming soon. Also, this coming Thursday, next Thursday, I should say, not this coming Thursday, next Thursday, April 6th, we are doing an advanced screening of The Shape of Shadows, which is a new film coming out through Merkle Media. 
at Battleground Cinema in Washington State. Yes, I'm going to Washington State because we're shooting our next film out there. We're going to be hunting Bigfoot on a lot of different locations for the whole week. And while we're out there, we're going to do the advanced screening of The Shape of Shadows, our new film coming out where we went to Utah to Space Wolf Research Property and we hunted the Skinwalker. We came up with a lot of footage, a lot of different evidences. It was a fantastic week and I know you guys are going to enjoy this film. The advanced screening is April 6th at 6.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time in Washington State. Tickets are available right now in the description of this episode. It is not just an advanced screening. It is also a town hall where you can come out and share your experiences with Bigfoot. And it is a Q&A session with not only myself, but my buddy Wes Germer from Sasquatch Chronicles, because him and I are going to link up to do this event, and he's going to be showing me where he had his Bigfoot encounter for our film that we're shooting out there as well. So yes, Wes Germer will be there, and Wes Germer is sharing with us where he saw those Bigfoot years ago. He is going to be part of this film. I'm very excited about it, and you should be too. So if you want to come out to this advanced screening, participate in Town Hall, and ask some questions, and hopefully get some answers from Wes and myself, you want to hit the link in the description below, or just go to theshapeofshadows.com and purchase your tickets before they're sold out because they are selling fast. Don't wait if you're interested in joining us there. Okay, this week we have Jesse coming on the show, and Jesse is somebody that I have been talking to, well, for on and off for a few years, to be honest with you. I've known about her for a long time, even when she was going by a pseudonym. She is somebody who was handpicked by Satan himself as a child, a little child, to be the successor to her grandmother, who was the lead mother of darkness. That's right. Her grandmother was the head of the Mothers of Darkness. Over the years, people have asked me, do you know anything about the Mothers of Darkness? I knew a little bit. Then my knowledge grew more and more over the years, but I was not about to do an episode on the Mothers of Darkness without having a Mother of Darkness on the show. Now, Jesse is not a Mother of Darkness because she actually became a Christian as a child and moved away from that life and God protected her through a lot of abuses. But I wanted her on the show to share the story, not somebody to share their thoughts on the Mothers of Darkness, but I wanted somebody who was in line to be a Mother of Darkness on the show telling their story, telling it firsthand experience. And that's what we have today with Jesse. So let's get to Jesse and her story about being hand-chose by Satan to be a mother of darkness, how she got out of that lifestyle, and what she's doing today to fight back the darkness in these dark times. Let's get to Jesse right now. All right, today we got Jesse Saboter on the show. How are you, Jesse? Doing well. I'm glad you're here. And uh, we just talked real briefly, and I just wanted to kind of lay the foundation here for what people are going to get today. Um, I, you, so I just told you this a little bit, but uh, I found you when I was driving truck uh, years ago. I, th- I want to say this was probably like 2018, 2019. Uh, yeah, early. <laughs> you went by the name Jane when I knew you. So <laughs> I, I did. <laughs> I, I, uh, I was driving truck and uh, I, I recently had Dan Duvall on the show for the first time. And uh, I, I think I actually brought this story up a little bit with him just in the sense of it relating to him. But I stumbled across his show somehow on, on Apple Podcasts. And uh, I, I heard you talking about your story 
about how you were born into uh, a bloodlines family and you were uh, chosen by Satan to be a, a mother of darkness. And we'll get into all that today. Uh, but what I, when I heard you tell this story, uh, I remember it was very hard to drive that day because I, I just, it, it was like everything that I've been thinking about and, and learning along the way was kind of like coming together. And I was like, and I think it was the birthing moment of my, in my mind where I was like, the higher we get into the governments, the more uh, corrupt and uh, satanic it becomes. And like, it, it's like the idea of like um, the paranormal and conspiracies merge and they get closer and closer the higher, you, higher up you go. And, and your story kind of really depicts that. Um, now, it's funny because my one friend, uh, Sam Tripoli at Tinfoil Hat Podcast, he texted me one day after I heard your story. And he said, have you ever heard of the Mothers of Darkness? And I'm just like, holy crap. Yeah, yeah, I have. And uh, I think he actually invited me to come on and talk about it. And I was like, sure. But I didn't know much. And, uh, and we didn't ever do it anyways. So, uh, so from that moment on, I was really trying to find who you were. And it wasn't until listeners started sending me, uh, I think it was YouTube videos with you, and they're like, you gotta check this lady out. And uh, it was it was one of those moments where I was like, I recognize the voice, but I don't recognize the name. And uh, it took me a few minutes to put things together, but I I realized that you were the same person that I had heard years ago. And uh, I was on a mission to to have a chance to speak with you and let you share your story with my audience because uh, the people tuning in, they tune in to hear people's life stories. They tune in to hear people's. Um, experiences with the paranormal, supernatural, uh, lots of different things. And uh, I think your story is just one I think is going to be um, put down in the record books for for my show. Uh, and so I'm really excited about it. Before we get into your story, though, uh, I want to give you an opportunity to promote some things. In fact, we didn't talk about this before, but if you have books you want to promote too, I would like for you to do that as well, because I think it's important for people to know where to find your literature so they can read through it and uh, maybe not have to find a spot at you know minute 48 where she said something. She could just, they could just flick to the page. you know. So um, if you could, just let people know what you're about and what you're doing right now, because some of the things you're doing with Congress is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I have two websites. The first is illuminatethedarkness.com. And on there, you know, my heart, because of my background, is really towards those who are um, whistleblowers, those who are survivors, those who are veterans, who are, um, you know, who have been harmed by the U.S. military or the government. So uh, in that ministry, we support them. We get monthly donations. Um, if you'd like to donate, you can do that through Illuminate the Darkness, P.O. Box 10443. Fargo, North Dakota, 58106. And um, ours is different than others. We don't just give, you know, regular donations out. Usually uh, we're looking for those special circumstances. A lot of people we support, um, again, they're whistleblowers. They're, they need more long-term support because, because of their whistleblowing or they're coming out of dangerous situations. Um, they're not able just to go get jobs or support themselves. So, you know, we kind of come along as that long-term help to make sure that they have their basics, which would be rent, bills, um, emergency needs, medical, cars, repairs, things like that. So, you know, we're always looking for people to help out with that. We always have monthly needs with that. Um, the second website I have is kingdomlivingwithjesse.com. And that really is my passion. You know, God didn't just bring me out of this occult for no reason. 
Um, his desire is to raise each of us up into um, his heavenly kingdom positions that he's prepared in advance for us. So on that website, I have two shows every week. Uh, one is um, Rise Up, which is every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. The other is Riding the Storms, which is at 6 p.m. Eastern. Um, they have different focuses. Rise Up's going to work on building up your faith, teaching you how to really live the new life that you have in the Lord. Um, Riding the Storms is going to be focused on challenges, temptations, trials that we all go through. What resources are available to us and how do we navigate those storms of life? Um, Right now, we've got a great series going on um, called Foreign Marriages, and we really we really go after sexual alters, and that's A L T A R S. Um, and we talk about you know the spiritual impact that um, you know these entities that attack us. How do we you know make sure that our lives are pure? How do we get rid of unwanted um, spiritual attacks in those areas? So you know we're going to be that type of show that. Um, you know, we're not like the regular church where we're afraid to talk about the hard things. You know, we're going to come straight out in the open and teach you how to live, how to navigate your faith. So um, I have an event coming up in Tampa, Florida. You can get tickets off of uh, com, And that is going to be a dynamic event. Um, it goes off of my courses that are available also on that site. The first course is Foundations and Kingdom Living. Um, in there, you know, again, we're going to go through the basics of faith. What is your identity in Christ? What authority do you have in the kingdom? And I'm going to propose, you know, there's many people who are listening today who need a miracle somewhere in their life. Maybe they need healing. Maybe there's things in their life that are dead and stagnant. Uh, they feel ineffective, unproductive. Maybe there's areas in your life where you need cleansing, or maybe it is those areas where you're dealing with depression or oppression or demonic attack. Well, the good news is is that these courses are going to give you everything that you need to learn how to navigate through those issues. Um, The course launch coming up in Tampa, Florida, March 24th through 26th is the second in that series of courses, and we're going to move beyond just that understanding of who you are and how you live to now you're going to live it. And the Lord literally is performing miracles. Um, He's, he is giving the release, showing us how to um, get these miracles to release and we're watching them happen. So um, I encourage everybody, if you can come for the live taping of that, it's great. If not, it will be available on the website after. Um, I also have three books. Um, the first one I want to just encourage anybody who's out there who's grieving. Um, I lost my son over a year ago to a car accident. And my first book is um, Five Minutes of Grief with God. I encourage you to get that. It's going to you know, walk you through just five minutes at a time. If you have somebody you know who's grieving, it's a great resource. Uh, the second book is The Anointing Overflows, and that's for those who are invested in um, wanting to see a shift in your community or in your home or in your own personal life. 
How do we use anointing oil? Um, what are the benefits? What does it do? Uh, the third book is His Kingdom Comes in Power, and that goes right along with my two courses that um, are on the site. Um, but that book is really about, you know, who is our enemy? Who are we at war with? Is Satan real? How do we know he's real? And I walk you through actual stories in my chaplain career um, that go into detail to explain the answer to those questions. So that's where you can find me at. Awesome. Well, uh, I I encourage people to uh, check out that stuff. In fact, the uh, the the book here that you were just talking about, the Anointing Overflows, I'm going to be checking out myself. Um, I I, uh, I I was raised Pentecostal, and so I'm not um, I'm not um, foreign to anointing oil. But I was never really taught or told how to use. I have anointing oil. I just you know. I, I use it, but in fact, I, I sometimes uh, uh, when I, before I started an interview with my one friend, uh, every time he was talking about this certain topic, the people that were interviewing him, their gear was just going kaput. And uh, he he came to, down here to my studio, and we had this group conversation over here, and uh, my my mixer board got fried. It's now like a decorative piece on my shelf across the room over here because it just got fried. And so I, I went and got a new one, and um, and and we uh, we we came. We brought him down again with uh, two other shows that all had technical difficulties when he was talking about the certain topic. And um, before we started that that whole conversation, though, I walked around my entire office building, knowing the doorways, the ev- all the equipment, everything, the the, the routers, because I was just like. We need to get this done, you know, and I can't be buying another mixer. So, uh, yeah. A- anyways, uh, I encourage people to check out the websites, the event if you're in the area, if you can travel. Uh, that's really cool. In fact, uh, North Dakota. We were we were thinking about moving before we moved to Tennessee. We were talking about moving to South Dakota, so we would have been neighbors. Um, but uh, we would have been. I don't know if you would have been too happy there. It gets pretty cold. Well, that's why we didn't go. I mean, today I have a. It's it's almost eighty degrees in Tennessee, and it's it's snowing mountains of snow in Washington State. So uh, I'm happy where I'm at. And uh, the reason why we didn't co- we didn't go to South Dakota is because like it has fifty inches of snow a year. No thanks. So right, <laughs> right. But um. All right, so let's get into it, uh, Jesse. You, I, I want to hand it over to you and let you go into detail as to your experience growing up as a child, uh, and, and however you want to portray this story. I know you've done it a million times, uh, but uh, if you want to start, you know, from the the childhood and work your way up, or if you want to talk about how you remember how you started coming to remember this stuff, because if I remember correctly, it's not like. Uh, I think the, these things started coming back to over time. I might be wrong in saying that. I'm not sure, but well, no, it was a direct command from the Lord. So I'll I'll get there. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just going to start with the childhood. Sounds good. Yeah. So you know, it really starts with my parents. I grew up in what I thought were was just a regular family. Uh, my dad's side were Lutheran. They went to church on the holidays, and uh, you know, kind of when they felt like it. I like to tease that the only thing they did religiously was fish. Uh, it was a high family, you know, a fisherman. And so I grew up fishing at a very young age. Um, my mother's side were devout Catholics and, you know, they went to mass regularly. And it was that side of the family that actually, you know, was bloodline and held the secret that they really were part of the Luciferian Brotherhood and very high level members in the Luciferian Brotherhood. Um, 
But, you know, before all that even happened or began, the Lord was very aware of everything that I was going to go through in my life. And so at age two, he began to shift and move things um, to put me into the position that he wanted me to be in as I went through my trauma and my experience in the occult. And so at age two, our house pipes froze and we had to move in with one of my father's relatives who was a Christian. And, you know, although both my parents went to church, neither of them had a relationship with God. They weren't really pursuing that. And, um, you know, this family member began to witness to my mother and me and invited us to church. And I can remember my very first time in church. I was the only kid in the nursery, you know, at two years old. And there was this amazing woman, little Mexican woman named Lily. And she was not one to water down the Bible or the gospel or things about God just because I was little. She literally sat me on her lap, opened up the scripture, and began to read to me from the book of John. And I can remember when I heard those words, like my soul just leaped, like I knew it was true. And I left that morning proclaiming, you know, get ready, Jesus is coming. I was I was telling everybody, get ready. And, you know, that was the one thing I just, I knew to be absolutely true. So we attended that church for over a year on and off. And um, as, you know, as I did, Lily gave me more and more tools to put in my little toolbox, you know, of faith and um, a lot of Bible songs, just simple little things like the B-I-B-L-E song and uh, others, and a lot of memory, memorization of different verses. So um, at the end of that year, when I was three, my mom came to the Lord and sat me down and said, would you like to ask Jesus into your heart? And I said, yes, you know. And so at three, I asked the Lord to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins and to be my Lord and Savior. Now, all of that was preparatory to what was going to happen the next, you know, in the next year. So at around age four and a half, we had to move in with our other side of the family. And, you know, I had no idea what they did. I didn't know I had been chosen or that I was, you know, special or anything like that. Um, But they had chosen me and they had chosen me to pretty much be the successor for my female relative who was a queen mother of darkness. And literally it's all of her family, um, all the women in her family, uh, they're all sisters who were the queen mothers of darkness. And um, so, you know, my introduction to that group was a story that I had told on Dan Duvall where, um, you know, I call that female relative, my proctor, uh, that's her official title, Um, in the position when she's in that place of training. So, you know, they would just call her the proctor and I was the successor training for that position. Um, So anyway, her first thing was that she, um, you know, in one of the churches in Rockford, Illinois, uh, which was the main place of of my abuse, one of the main training centers, uh, she met with the old guard mothers of darkness and In this, it's really hard to explain this sometimes because 
there really was no fighting or no war. Like in their world, they know that, you know, the current or the woman who was the proctor, who was the queen mother of darkness for my proctor, knew her time was up. And they have certain things that they do. And they just accept when their time is up, they know their time is up. So, you know, I entered into this ceremony with my proctor where she beheaded the former Queen Mother of Darkness, and she took that position. Um, In the midst of that, you know, there was a point where she took my face in her hands and said to me, you know, one day you'll do this to me. And I was just sitting there thinking, um, no, no, I won't, you know. Um, But that was my introduction to that world. Uh, The next thing, you know, began at school. They they would target us at school. And they had 20 children that they um, invited us into the schoolroom. And the mothers of three of the mothers of darkness came and they began to set all these objects in the middle of us children sitting in a circle. And they were occultic objects, things like tarot cards, feathers, shawls, um, candles, you know, I mean, all sorts of stuff. They had daggers, all sorts of stuff. And they told us that we were going to play a game. And the game was that, you know, we were supposed to go up when it was our turn, pick one of the items and show everybody put it back down and sit back down. Now, when I heard that, that was the most ridiculous game I think that I had ever heard. And I started laughing. I was like, what is the fun of that? If you don't get to keep your item, right? And none of those items were even things that I was like, what in the world is that? Like, what kind of game is this? So as I'm kind of laughing to myself, the little boy next to me, he starts laughing too. And I I looked at him and without saying a word, I said, can you hear me? And he responded, yes. And so ended up this little boy, um, the best way to describe our relationship was that we were like twins. You know, we, we could hear each other's thoughts in the spirit world. Uh, we could communicate with one another. And um, we had a bond that was just like twins. And um, he was chosen to uh, be my protector in the system, you know, being in a high level position that I was chosen for. Um, I needed somebody that would go with me and, you know, be high eyes on and make sure that I was protected from others who might try to, you know, according to them, illegally or unlawfully usurp the throne. So um, our training then you know, it went from just me to, I always had this little boy, um, who experienced everything with me. And, uh, that was from 1981 to 1984. And so, um, the next event that we really went through, um, you know, was the murder of his, his parents who his mother had found out that he had been chosen um, to be my protector for the system. And she was making plans to run um, with his eight-year-old sister and his little brother. And uh, the system uh, took them out before that. And so we watched that graphic um, murder. 
And what happened then was that they placed him uh, with a man that that I knew as his grandfather. Um, looking back, I do not know if this man really was his grandfather or not. Um, this man ended up being a Nazi. And uh, his name was uh, Michael Karkok. And he was the Ukrainian Legion of Defense leader for Adolf Hitler. So this is one of the biggest things um, that I want to bring out before Congress is that, you know, our U.S. government and the military allowed these Nazis to um, have access through the military to children and allowed them to do um, exper- or to have us engaged in the experiments and projects um, that were that I'll get into here in a minute. But um, so, so he moved in with Michael Carcock and, you know, they lived in a house that was kitty corner to ours about a block and a half down the road. Now in this world, you know, we had cover lives. So, you know, nobody in the public eye, even people within that system, unless they were high, higher level, like grand priest or, grand high priestess they they had no clue who i was um they didn't even know the true identities of the mothers of darkness so as we begin to look at the structure of this system of the luciferian brotherhood the best way to think about it is to imagine a triangle at the very top of that triangle you have the five mothers of darkness you also across from them have a subgroup of five men known as merlin um uh, we'll get into their story later but the main structure you have the five mothers of darkness underneath them you have what we call the council of 300 or the druidic council the satanic council it's also maybe goes by some other names that you, the audience may know which would be uh the galactic federation or the federation alliance or the global alliance So it goes by many names. Um, Initially, there's 300 seats where um, individuals who are grand high priest or priestesses or those who are bloodline um, or chosen for the councilman positions are going to sit on there. If you're curious as to some of those names of the councilmen, uh, one of their sub-council chambers is the Bilderbergs, and you can look up their participation list and watch and see who rotates on that list. Um, they do a rotation for four years and um, they can choose one person out of their quadrant to, to continue to rotate or uh, they can have multiple people from a quadrant that rotate. But their job is to receive orders from the Mothers of Darkness Now, the Mothers of Darkness, they get their orders straight from Lucifer himself. I also call him Satan. I use the names interchangeably. Uh, To me, they're the same being, the same person. So um, every night, you know, we would meet with Lucifer and we would get his agenda, uh, both long-term, short-term, and the Mother's job is to ensure that the system continues to run and operate the way Satan desires it to operate. Uh, They give their orders, depending on which quadrant um, they're going to, to the councilman. Uh, The councilman will sit on quadrants 
you know, that go east, northwest, east, south, uh, both internationally as well as in the United States. So both are represented separately. Um, so underneath them, you have the grand high priest or priestesses. Those are going to be the individuals under the councilmen who their job is to make sure that the system is operating within specific quadrants. So I had, I had several grand high priestesses in my situation and grand high priests. Um, some of those were Colonel Michael Aquino for the U.S. military. Uh, we also had John Brennan, uh, who worked, who was head over a CIA. Um, we also had individuals like Lori Cabot Kent, who um, comes from, you know, her, her bloodline comes through the Kent family and the Cabot families out of the U.K., connected to the royals. Uh, she was one of my top teachers. I also had for a short period of time, Gloria Vanderbilt, um, who was Anderson and Carter Cooper's mom. So um, both of those high priestesses were out of the East. Uh, Brennan also was over the East in the U.S. And then Aquino was over the West. So they'll just oversee their quadrant, their areas of jurisdiction. Now they're going to be in charge of those who are called high priest or priestesses. And so once you get into the quadrants, they begin to break down by regions. Um, you know, so it could be by state, it could be even further, you know, by uh, city, county, things like that. So they'll they'll be placed to a certain regional area. And the high priests and priestesses, their job is to oversee the five departments within their region. So those five departments in the system are going to be the Mormons, the Masons, um, the Jesuit Catholics, the Satanists, and the Kabbalah. Uh, the system wants you to believe that they're all separate, that their beliefs, their focus are all separate. Um Within the system, everybody's allowed to choose how they express their beliefs. So that's why we see it um, in all these different departments. But the truth is, is that all of them over the head of them is the Luciferian Brotherhood. And, you know, their main goal is to, you know, ensure the operations of their system and their their beliefs of brotherhood. Um. So there's a lot of cross-connecting that goes between those departments. And each of those departments, their job is to oversee the system's assets. There are two assets. The first is what we call the hierarchy children. Those are those who are born into the system, who are bloodline and chosen for certain positions. Now, not everybody's going to be high level positions like I was. They, you know, may not even fit into that triangle. Um, you know, they may be chosen for something else in the system. Like it could be as simple as the Catholic secretary, you know, at the Catholic church, but they're chosen for a position and they're going to be trained to take that position to make sure that the system keeps operating. The second group of um, assets is what the system calls expendable children. Um, those are the children that are given just to make them money 
Uh, there's nothing that they do to serve the system other than, you know, elite members are the ones that are going to be abusing and committing crimes against these children. Um, the expendable children, you know, I've, I try to break it down so people understand what expendable means to the system. You know, it's all different ways of income and they make a lot of income off of each child. Um, first, they're going to make money off of that child being sexually exploited and trafficked. Uh, there is no age limit on that. So, you know, it's not like a child turns five and they get put into a trafficking ring. Um, there is no age limit. So, you know, this sexual abuse can, ev- can begin the moment that child is born Um, It can begin later. It just depends on whoever is in charge of that child's sexual exploitation. Um, The next way is that once the child no longer can be used sexually, they, they begin bidding and putting in money to either be able to ritually kill or to cannibalize that child. Um, You know, human market is big in the brotherhood system. Um, it's been hidden for so many years, but it's going to start coming out in front of our faces, how big that human market is and what organizations participate in it. I think many of us are going to be surprised, um, when we find out, you know, how everything has been operating. But, um, so, you know, the elite will pay more money to either, ritually kill or to cannibalize the child. Then they will pay more money to have the remains turned into a diamond. Um, They choose if they want to keep that as a trophy diamond, like we see in a lot of rings that um, Hollywood or Vatican individuals wear. Um, Those rings display uh, their magical power and, um, you know, what dimensions they're able to access through, uh, sex magic. So, you know, they will keep trophy rings. They will, um, you know, display their magical abilities through these diamonds and other forms of jewelry with it. If they choose not to keep it for a trophy, they will sell it on the black market for even more money or sometimes even to jewelers. Uh, for more money. Um, After that, they will take the remains of the ashes and they will sell those to our pharmacia and to our food companies. And that is specifically done to curse us because scripture says that whoever consumes blood or human flesh is cursed. So they want the general public unknowingly to constantly be in a state of unrighteousness before God under a curse. Um, I get a lot of people who freak out when they first hear that because it is, it's in everything. They use it as a filler. There is no way to really avoid, even for those who, you know, try to buy things naturally, grow your own, Um, It is being put into animal feed. It's being put into fertilizer. It's being put into products that we use to help our crops grow. It's being put into the water. Um, You know, so it is so vast and so difficult to know. 
But that's where we really need to put our faith into practice. You know, we serve a God who is able to turn water into wine. So I fully believe that if we pray before we eat, we ask the Lord to cleanse our food and to cleanse it from all wickedness, all curses put against us. I believe the Lord transforms our food, that he He protects it along the way, you know, so that we're not getting that that curse and we're not participating in the evil of cannibalization like these individuals do. So, so let your heart rest in that, you know, trust the Lord, pray, and know that, you know, you don't need to go through a crazy game of trying to figure out everything, you know, that has it in there. Just trust the Lord. If he tells you not to eat something, don't eat it. Um, you know, trust him and put good, healthy things into your body. Um, so that's kind of, you know, the basics of, of, you know, how the system works and operates. Now, in my experience, as I continued in that system and my training continued, um, it went beyond just ritual, beyond just satanic things, beyond, you know, learning different forms of high-level magic. Um, you know, it really then began to interface with the U.S. military and certain military bases. Um, that was where Michael Carcock, the Nazi I mentioned earlier, was highly involved. From my understanding, um, as he came into the U.S. in the early or the late 1940s, um, his job was to begin to train Michael Aquino to learn how to operate not only the spiritual gates, but also the programs for the Brotherhood system through the U.S. military in the West. And Brennan was chosen to uh, operate the programs in the East. Both of them had a different emphasis in the programs. Um, both programs um, included children as well as military veterans or individuals who were in the military. Uh, one of the first things that they did was, um, you know, as they were choosing me for these programs, was they had to test, um, you know, my ability to uh, function under adrenochrome. Adrenochrome is, you know, basically blood mixed with, uh, you know, they'll mix it with adreno, which is a hormone that comes from your adrenal glands. Um, all of my teachers, especially Carcock, Lori Cabot, Kent, my proctor, they were all skilled in the ancient forms of procuring adrenochrome and other hormones that they would mix into um, these tinctures that they would make. Um, you know, they would vary a little bit. Um, and there were two different types of adreno. Uh, the first type they would mix with vodka you know, they would take the hormones and put them into vodka in a tincture that way. And that would be used daily. So, you know, the, what happens when our natural adreno grow or sorry, adreno glands are functioning, it gives us that heightened awareness, that heightened spiritual acuity. Uh, we're very alert. We're very aware. So that's the state they want, um, you know, those in these programs to be in. They wanted us to spiritually be, you know, top notch, 
running at full force, fully aware of everything going on, as well as having heightened spiritual gifts because of it. So that was the first one. The second type they only use during rituals, uh, particularly ritual sacrifice, and they would mix the adreno and other hormones with, um, with formaldehyde. And that would cause whoever drank it to immediately go into a psychosis. Um, the best way I can describe adrenopsychosis is that you all of a sudden have this intense anger that you cannot control this rage and you just want to literally shred everything that you see um, and utterly destroy. Um, so, you know, when they were testing us with this uh, drug, they would, uh, they put us into straight jackets, me and my training partner. They locked us in a padded room with smaller children and, uh, you know, waited for things to have its full effect uh, to see, you know, how much they could give us and uh, when we would go into that psychosis. Um, coming off of the adrenochrome makes made me really nauseous. I would always throw up and puke afterwards. So um, it really was not a fun experience. And um, my concerns that I have brought out is that this is the reason behind a lot of the PTSD um, and issues that we see, especially with the Iraq, the Afghanistan soldiers coming back is, you know, I believe that the U S military has been putting Adreno in their food. Uh, why I propose that is throughout the generations, we hear stories from these soldiers of war who talk about, um, you know, everything looked like it had a brown gravy with it, right? Well, when I was a kid, they would put my adreno um, in with a banana mixture because um, the when you're at that heightened acuity and you're in that go 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 mood, it it drains your potassium. So I would have to eat ten bananas a day to stay at that high level of potassium that my body needed, and you know, they literally would take the bananas out of the peel. Uh, they would mash them up. And next thing I know, the bananas are brown. And it's like, why are the bananas brown? Now, later, you know, I went back, I mashed up my own. They don't turn brown right away. So why were my bananas brown as a kid? It was because that's, they were putting adreno powder or something on there with it. Um, so you know, that's some of the issues that uh, I think, you know, really affect the current world. Um, after, you know, they figured that out, um, my training with the military began. It began in a project called The Looking Glass. Um, with that project, they begin to introduce you to the spiritual gates. Um, these are not new concepts. You know, we may have seen them in uh, shows like Star Wars uh, or, uh, what's that other one? It's like, uh, Stargate is another one. All of those are based off of real things. Not all of the spiritual gates look that way. Many of them just look very natural, like scenery. Um, you wouldn't even know that you were standing right in front of it. Um, 
But these are the floodgates that scripture talks about in Genesis chapter 5 and 6. Um, even before that, it talks about how God created a firmament and he commanded that firmament above and below to hold water. And we learned that in Genesis, um, I think it's five, when the flood was, um, that, or maybe it's Genesis six, it's one of those two. But we learn in there that um, when God caused the flood waters to fall, that it those floodgates released the water that was in them. Um, all of God's creation is living and active. Um, just like the rest of creation, those floodgates respond to God's voice. They also were created for a purpose. Um, the best way to describe their purpose is that, you know, they're gateways from the physical earth to the spiritual world. Um, the largest spiritual gates um, operate vertically. So they give access to the throne of God and to other places in the heavenly realms and to the upper dimensions, whereas um, they also will give access to the lower dimensions. Scripture talks about how uh, when uh, the, some of the angels that followed Lucifer were cast from heaven, those we call the fallen angels, that some of them were so... Um, terrible that they were not given permission to wander the earth and they were chained in the lower abyss and in the lower realms. Um, so those spiritual gates have access to those lower realms. Uh, the other spiritual gates that are the minor or the middle ones, uh, those operate horizontally from a point A to B, and it could be multiple points. You know, um, some of the gates that I knew, like the one in Chicago, uh, that one had access to Nerschwanstein Castle in Germany. It also had access to Yellowstone, um, you know, at the National Park there. And it had many other places that had access to some Wisconsin areas. So they will use these spiritual gates for travel um, when they need to. And uh, so with the Looking Glass Project, um, you begin to learn about these spiritual gates and you begin to interface with them. What happens with interfacing, you know, what does that mean? It means that you begin to um, begin to look and see and experience the spiritual realm. Um so, you know, there's different ways that that can be done. The U.S. military classifies all these forms as forms of r remote viewing. The first type of remote viewing is where, you know, your physical body is one place, but your spiritual body, um, you know, will separate from your physical body and leave that body, you know, as though you're sleeping at, while your spirit is engaging in the spirit world. Um, that's called astral projection. I don't uh, remote view that way. I never have. So I can't tell you much more about that experience. I have witnessed others who have. Um, but the way that I always saw it was as though it was in a vision where I would be awake. It was like I was having a dream while I was awake. I would fully be seeing the physical world as it was 
but I also would be seeing this overlap of the spirit world um, where I could literally be seeing two places at one time. And I could experience those places at one time. So, you know, we had rituals where uh, we would be at Chicago uh, performing that ritual, and all of a sudden this veil um, of the spirit world would open up and we could look, we could see exactly what was happening at the ritual in Germany. We could hand stuff to each other through that, through that spirit world. Uh, we could just step over and we could be there in Germany instead of in Chicago. So that was how I experienced that. Um, the second project, once we got through the looking glass, and let me add one more thing about looking glass. Um, looking glass was particularly used by the U.S. military um, in order to gain um, information about the future and about future events. Um, I believe shows like The Simpsons uh, literally was based off the of the biofeedback of children that were in that looking glass experiment. So that's why we see certain things that were like, how did the Simpsons know that? It's not that they knew or the show creators knew. It's that the, Luc the Luciferian Brotherhood has been gathering this information through the U.S. military for years. Um, so, you know, they would, um, you know, we would look into the spirit world and we would see future events. And then they would have, um, usually our groups of, let me kind of rephrase that. Um, the experiment consisted of little groups of three. So I had two boys that were in my experiment with me. Um, one of them has now, um, has come forward a little bit. Uh, we're encouraging him to come forward more. Uh, but one is a very famous name you'll know, and that was Elon Musk. Um, the other boy was my training partner. All right. And <laughs> before you go any further, before you go any further, I, 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 I do, I think you're rolling. Let me just get this straight because I, I don't want to forget this. One of, one of the, the little boys that you interacted with was Elon Musk. Correct. It does not surprise me at all. <laughs> and his, his mother, I, I've talked about Elon Musk real briefly on the show in recent months continue on. I'm sorry. I just wanted to make sure I got that straight because I, I just, holy cow. Okay. Yeah. So, so there was three of us and we all had different, um, like they would choose who would be in these little groups based on certain things. So, um, I was the child that always would see the end time result. So whatever the end result of that, um, event was, that's what I would see. Um, Elon was somebody that he would see the step by step, like he couldn't see what happened at the very end, but he would see the steps leading up to that event. Uh, the other boy, he also would see the steps, but then he would see the consequences of those steps. Like, you know, if you took that step, what would happen? So they would choose three children that would, you know, work together in conjunction that way. And so as the information about the event happened, it would almost be like a threefold check because, you know, they would see the steps that would lead up to that event. They would see the consequences that would happen if the choices unfolded as it was seen. 
And then they would look at that end time event and they would say, huh, well, is that what we want to happen? Or can we play with the choices along the line and somehow make it turn out different? So they began to do that and try to use um, the predictions to uh, manipulate time and events that would occur. Now, what's interesting about that is that all the children, I mean, they did these experiments, you know, I would say probably from the 50s to 60s, then my generation was the 70s to 80s. So for over, you know, 50 years, they did these experiments um, gathered all these details and they, they literally like our biofeedback after an episode, um, we would have to give every detail. What did we see? What did we hear? What did we feel? You know, what did we smell? And they would rate us like, you know, on, we wouldn't be together when we would give our biofeedback, we would all be in separate rooms and then they would rate, you know, well, you know, Jesse with the other little boy, her training partner, how real is there, you know, how connected is the story or the details? We had a hundred percent biofeedback. We would give almost exactly the same details word for word. Elon was considered 60% feedback with us. So 60% of what we gave in detail is what he would give, which was still pretty close. Um, the top U.S. military general that they had who would engage in that with us, um, he was at an 80% biofeedback from us. So, you know, they would have four people's details and, you know, all at about 60% with one another. So they would rate all those things as they were gathering the information. Um, interestingly enough, there was, you know, as they did this throughout the years, they began to realize that nobody was able to see or get details past the year 2024. And why was that? I fully believe it's because, you know, God has already written the end of the story in the book of Revelation in the Bible. And they cannot manipulate, they cannot change the outcome or the details of that story Everything begins to merge, you know, that has happened through the years, even with their trying to twist and manipulate, everything begins to merge onto the one timeline that they can't, they cannot do anything about. So, so we're getting to that time where, you know, they no longer will be able to do anything about what's, what the Lord has coming. Um, so the next uh, project and program that we went into was known as the Star Wars programs. And there's many that are in that series. Initially, it started off being called Skinante. Um, the specific group I was in was called Star Wars Now. And with that, you know, we worked with U.S. military generals and we learned how to operate further you know, no longer just looking and vision into the spiritual gate. We learned how to operate the spiritual gates. Um, they operate off of frequency, sound, light, um, harmony. Is Song is probably the best way to put it. In order to get the spiritual gate open, you have to be able to hear the song and you 
need to be able to um, get the right frequency, the right notes, and come into alignment with that gate to get it to open. Um, they created CERN, which, you know, before CERN, everything was done through voices and through groups of people operating these gates together, which is why witches and warlocks would gather into places. Uh, they would dance, they would engage in sexual magic and, um, you know, which would be frequency and they would get those spiritual gates open. Now, scripture talks about these gates beyond just the book of Genesis. In the book of Psalms, even King David speaks about these gates. He says, you know, enter the Lord's gates with thanksgiving in your heart. Enter his courts with praise. So how do you enter these gates? How do you get to the heavenly courts of the Lord? You have to do it through thanksgiving and praise. So even King David knew that these gates opened through song. Um, thanksgiving is the frequency that they have to have to open that because the Luciferian brotherhood don't worship God and they don't want to give him thanks and praise. Um, and they can't genuinely do it. They cannot, you know, replicate that frequency of Thanksgiving as it is, but they can replicate something that comes very close that still opens the gates and that's ecstasy. And that's why they use sex magic um, to open the spiritual gates. And that's particularly why they target children in their sex magic is because children have no control or filter over those emotions and uh, they can get that frequency replicated. So that's why they'll use a lot of the kids in the sex magic. Um, so with that, you know, we began to learn to operate those gates, open them up, go in. Um, we learned to, you know, do recon and different intel gathering types of missions to start off with. Uh, we began to learn more about our spiritual gifts and our spiritual warfare abilities. Um, the U.S. military is directly connected to uh, Satan or Lucifer's demonic army. So in there, you know, I learned that that all of these Bible stories and these names about fallen angels or names that are out of the Book of Enoch are not just, you know, idols that were given names that were worshipped throughout the generations. These are Satan's generals in his army. Um, I knew nine of them, and, uh, you know, that was... Um, some like Avedon, who's also called Apollon, he oversees a lot of the military programs uh, that the U.S. government runs. Uh, then you had demon generals like Baal, Ashtaroth, who tend to work together, Molech, uh, Toth, uh, Leviathan, um, Azazel, Chemish, and uh, Samael. So those are the ones that I learned Um and worked with in those programs. Um, they, their one goal is still to fulfill Satan's agenda, which he's had since the beginning of time, you know, and that's that he wants to usurp the throne of God. He wants to sit on the throne as God. 
Now, what happened was that as he was cast out of heaven, along with his demonic generals, um, they lost access to the throne room of God. Satan is allowed to go up there, scripture tells us in many places, like the book of Job or Zechariah 3. Um, he's allowed to go up there to accuse believers, um, you know, and to bring his accusations against them for unrighteousness. Why does he do that? It's because it all has to do with the physical land rights. In Genesis, God gave man dominion over the land, over the earth. Um, but Satan wants that dominion. And how does he get it? Um, he basically steals it from us by keeping us in a state of unrighteousness. So that's why he goes to the courts of heaven. It's to levy for you know his strongholds, the places he builds up, that he has rights to be here because we're unrighteous. Nobody's fighting him to remove those strongholds of wickedness, you know, the places where you know, filmers are doing pornography or where there's alcohol or drugs or, um, you know, murder going on. He says, I have every right to be in those places and have my demonic generals there because everywhere you go, all there is is unrighteousness. Um, so his demonic generals are not allowed to go into the courts of heaven you know, so how can he usurp the throne of God when it's just him? So he found a way to bypass that. Um, you know, we have authority over the land and the earth, and um, and we've been given rule to reign with Christ. So he he will, you know, do all these experiments to figure out um, what spiritual gifts children have and who has gifts that align with his demonic army. And who will host his his army? You know, beyond his generals, he has an entire demonic army of unclean spirits. He wants to, you know, have people possessed with those spirits because we can get through the gates and go into the throne room of God. Um, so that's his plan. And what the U.S. military has been working towards is to try to connect human children to those demonic armies. So as the projects got further with that, um, the third step is we went into the Voice of God project, which is exactly what I just described. It's all about the end times. It's all about Satan usurping the throne of God and having human hosts for his demonic army. Um, they're gearing up for that. Revelation, uh, The book of Revelation talks about the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, that's where Satan plans to make his assault on the throne room of God with his army um, there in the Valley of Jezreel. So with that, you know, there was a, there are several different sub-programs. Um, the, the ones that I was privy to were programs like I Am. Um, and with that, I Am has two types of soldiers that are trained. The first type are those that um, are called the alpha soldiers. Those are going to be individuals who are trained to prepare things for the upcoming events, to make sure that everything is where it needs to be. Every law, every regulation, every policy, every individual um, 
who's supposed to be at that event, they're going to make sure all of that's in place. The second group are called Omega soldiers, and they're in sleeping or kind of in inactive, deactivated until the moment that they're triggered and called up to service. And, you know, their job then is to be military boots, carrying those demonic generals through those spiritual gates when they open. Now, what's interesting is that for some of you, you may have attended Patriot conferences. Um, When I say what I'm going to say, I want you to know that not everybody at those conferences is bad. Not everybody is evil, but there are some who are connected to these projects or programs through the U.S. military, and they are preparing people through those conferences. Um, Some of the things that I heard, you know, were individuals who were saying, okay, I'm going to say a phrase. I want you to repeat back. Who's a patriot? I'm a patriot. You know, and then I'll say it again, who's a patriot? And you're going to say, I am. They just activated the I am program. They're doing it with thousands and thousands of people activating these soldiers, getting them ready. People who have been trained maybe, maybe when they're a kid and they have no idea that they're being activated so that when the trigger codes go out, uh, they automatically will switch on and start fulfilling their job in the program. Um, You know, part of my job as a, you know, Queen Mother of Darkness was to understand how the programs worked and operated. So I wasn't programmed, but I was privy, I experienced, I watched, I observed how these programs were set up and how they worked, how they operated, Uh, Some parts, you know, like I talked about the Looking Glass and the Star Wars Now, I directly participated in. Um, So I understand how they work. Um, It's, it's, you know, although some of it sounds scary, you know, I know people's first thoughts are, how do I make sure I'm not one of those who's programmed to go off and do things I don't want to do? The good news is that Jesus is the decode. You know, literally, as we say, Lord, you know, there may be things out of my childhood that I don't remember. There may be things that are blocked or hidden from me, but I'm just surrendering my life right now to you, to your rule, to your authority. And I know that you will keep me, that you will protect me, that, you know, you say goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'm asking you, Lord, if there's any programs, undo them right now. Undo them, Lord. And I'm trusting that, you know, you're hearing me right now that I want to serve you. I don't want to serve the enemy. I don't want to serve an agenda. Um, I just want to serve you, Lord. And the Lord will honor those requests. Um, He's been bringing quick healing to survivors and to those who have gone through programming. And uh, he knows our hearts. The enemy can't make us do what we don't want to do. And as, you know, that's part of why the Lord um, has me speaking out is so that, you know, people have the opportunity to make that choice and to undo what the enemy has been striving to work towards. Um, So with that said, 
that was kind of the basics breakdown of the military and their agenda. Um, so all of my training for that happened from age four and a half to age 10. By the time I was 10, I was fully trained to step into that position if they needed me. Uh, most of the time for the upper level positions, um, individuals will step into them usually around age 35 to 40, uh, 45, somewhere in there. Um, so what happened was, you know, at age 10, um, the Lord decided to play his hand. And I simply was at a family funeral with all of these family members. And um, as I turned from the casket to walk towards my car, the Lord very clearly said to me, I have released you from them. And as he spoke those words, it literally was like a, a wedge just came down from heaven. And I knew that all of their authority, their power over me was broken. And they felt it too. Uh, from that day on, they were not able just to come, you know, take me or make me participate in events. Um, you know, there was some times afterwards where they had to drug me just to have me present at an event. Um, but they weren't able just to come and take me and make me participate anymore. And they knew that the Lord was contending for me from that point on. And the Lord began to, you know, at that time, really walk me through a time of healing and deliverance. Um, I didn't have people that I could turn to. Uh, every chance that I got, I tried to, you know, tell people in the system what had happened to me especially about my training partner. Um, you know, October of 1984, um, we were at a Halloween event, uh, my proctor and some of my other family members, uh, we were taken to a haunted house. And in that haunted house, you know, we were going through at one point, um, there was a split in the hallways. And so I ended up going with one of my younger female relatives uh, who was older than me, but I met younger as in way younger than my proctor. Um, she, uh, she got scared. And, you know, as we're going through this hallway alone together and she, her way of dealing with that was to say, Jesse, I know you're scared. Let me carry you. And I was like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm not scared. And she's like, no, no, let me carry you. So she started to carry me through this hallway. At the end of the hallway, there was a skeleton that was reaching its, its arm out as people would walk by. So as we tried to squeeze by past that, <laughs> that skeleton in the cage, it reached out and its arm got stuck around my ankle and we couldn't get it off. So finally, we both began to yell for help, and the staff came, and they couldn't get it off either. So they ended up having to call in maintenance guys to come and take the skeleton apart and try to get it off my foot. Well, when I saw the three men who appeared, I knew that they were not men from the system. And so uh, you know, I was the type that every chance I got to tell about the things that were going on, I would take the opportunity. And I'd be, you know, looking at the one guy, I was like, my family is in the occult. My family serves Satan. My family, 
kills and eats babies. And he was just like, what the heck is up with this kid? Like, is this part of the Halloween exhibit? You know, he was like, what in the world? And as I'm sitting there, you know, my, my female relative, she's like, Jesse, shut up, Jesse, you're going to get us in trouble. You know, she's trying to get me to be quiet. And all of a sudden my proctor walks around the corner and we knew she heard. Um, so that night, um, you know, my training would go every day, all day. It usually started around six in the morning, um, as we, you know, we would get ready and stuff. And then it would continue throughout until about two or 3 AM. So usually I got about three hours of sleep at night. So we had just finished with our night meetings and I, I was getting my sleep And next thing I know, my proctor is literally hauling me out of bed and dragging me down the stairs and to the front door. And uh, as as we got out there, you know, I will never forget, I just hear this sound of fire and everything within me sank as I turned and looked and I saw my training partner's house on fire. And I just ran. Uh, The fire department was already there. Um, there were people, you know, from our neighborhood that were gathered. And as I ran for the door, the firemen caught me and literally held me up by my arms outstretched. And, uh, you know, I proceeded to kick and scream and fight uh, them for hours. They waited until the whole house burned down. Um, and then, you know, finally, when it had burnt down, um, they set me down and I just remember everything in my heart sank because me and my training partner had been attempting to get out. Um, prior to that, we had been at a ritual where, um, you know, in Chicago where they were trying to get us to participate in our first sacrifice. And, um, with that, you know, there was another boy that, um, who was a a little bit older than me that I was supposed to take vows with, with this sacrifice. And um, it would be the first time that, you know, I would be participating in killing an infant. They had an infant on the altar. They had a chalice with blood. Uh, What was supposed to happen was that, you know, first the dagger was handed to him and he had to cut his hand and put blood into the chalice. And then they were he was going to hand it to me, and I was supposed to do the same thing. And then together, we were going to um, kill the infant. But I just was not going to have any of that. And so he did his part. He handed me the dagger, and I was just so angry. I chucked that dagger straight at my proctor's face. And as I did that, I swept my hand across the altar and... Uh, knocked off the chalice and everything that was already on there. And when I did that, I mean, literally it was like a pin dropped. And the first person to move was the high priest. And he came and he uh, slung me over his shoulders like a sack of potatoes. He hauled me out into the graveyard of the church. Uh, They had an empty grave there and he threw me down in that. And it wasn't just an empty grave uh, underneath that church. They have a catacomb. So literally he threw me down into that catacomb through that grave, covered the top and walked off. 
And I didn't know if I was going to die. I didn't know if I was going to live. It was pitch dark. I didn't know my way through the catacombs. So I kind of just, you know, huddled up close to the side and sat there for a few minutes. And then all of a sudden I see somebody walking towards me who the best way to describe it is look like a man on fire. And as he got closer, I realized it was the Lord. And he picked me up and literally he carried me through those catacombs. He carried me to a small little door and knelt down and he said, ask of me what you will. And I knew who it was. I knew it was Jesus. And I said, Lord, I want them all to come out. So that was the promise that the Lord gave me before he let me out that door. As he opened the door, I ended right back up in that sanctuary where we had been sacrificing. And I came in behind everybody, all the adults who were there. They were fighting and yelling and screaming about the whole incident because their ritual had been ruined and it meant that somebody was going to get punished. Um, And as they're yelling and screaming, finally they realize that I'm standing there behind them. And the high priest came up to me and he said, how did you get here? And I said, I pointed right where the door had been. And I said, the Lord let me out the door. And he slapped me in the face and he said, there isn't a door. How did you get here? And I said, the Lord let me out the door. And, you know, he was trying to figure out how did I navigate those catacombs? Um, Finally, he was so mad that he made my proctor take me home. The next day after that event, me and my training partner were walking through the hallways of the church to get to our class for, um, this was occultic class training. So we had to go meet with Carcock for our defense training. And as we were on our way there, um, he literally paused in the hallway and grabbed my wrist really hard. Um, You know, I had already been training with him. So I knew if he stopped, you know, I automatically stopped and was looking around like, okay, what's going on? What is he sensing? But instead of, you know, an attack coming at us, all of a sudden he turned, which he's never supposed to do. And he literally, you know, shoved me against the wall, pinned me to the wall. And he got really close and he said, promise me. He said, promise me if you get out, you'll get me out too. So that was the moment that he and I started to make plans to get out. Now, it wasn't until years later, you know, that I found out the fullness of this story of what really happened. But, you know, so in my mind growing up, what I believed happened was that, you know, we were planning to get out. Next thing I know, I'm telling, you know, this person, these maintenance guys at the haunted house, what our family's into. That night, you know, they set, the system sets his house on fire and he and his uh, Michael Carcock, who was, you know, his grandfather and his little brother were in that house. Um, we heard them in there. We, I saw him upstairs banging on the window saying, I can't get out. I can't get out. We were there until that fire died down and we knew there was no escape, right? So 
the biggest thing that happened in that moment was that spiritual connection that he and I had had where we could communicate in the spirit world that immediately stopped. And so for me, you know, everything within me believed he had died. Now there was a couple things that had happened in between there that made me question, you know, if he had really died or not. Um, but you know, it just, I had kind of let it pass, but in my anger, I was so angry with God that night that, you know, it wasn't the type of anger where I was saying, Lord, I'd, I won't serve you or Lord, I don't want to know you anymore. But it was just the type of anger where, Lord, this one hurts and I want you to forever remember that I'm angry about it. And so I, I prayed a prayer that I knew the Lord could not answer. And I said, Lord, raise him from the dead, which the Lord did not do, right? So, 34 years later, um, we, you know, I'm living in a community, I'm working as a chaplain, and one day, the, you know, I was, I was doing, um, working both at hospitals, but I also did some work with one of the local shelters with the veterans and the uh, homeless people who would come in. And um, as, you know, I went through my chaplain work, um, we began to have an influx of Satanists in our community who were getting involved in things. Um, I began to run into teachers or other people who would tell me these stories and they'd be like, I have this little girl in my class who's practicing witchcraft. Like, what do I do? You know, what am I supposed to do? And so the Lord told me to write a presentation. And he said, I want you to begin to put your story onto paper and begin to tell them about your experience as a child, you know, in witchcraft and, and how can they be aware of what, what signs can they look for? How can they begin to talk with these kids that they're running into? So I did that. And the moment I finished that presentation, the Lord literally brought over 350 people to me to give it to. Uh, it included senators, it included uh, principals, teachers, social workers, counselors. So I begin to really start to share in the community about, you know, how do we deal with, with this when we've got children that are doing witchcraft in our classrooms or in our community? You know, and, and just teaching them a little bit more about it. I didn't go anywhere near in in depth as I have now, but, um, you know, it was just very basic. Um, so after that, I did that for about a year. And at the time, you know, I was very aware of who the local groups were and, and they were nicely providing all their information about their activities, um, that were coming up on their websites. But the second year, uh, those occultic groups, um, made it where you had to buy a membership to access the the website. Well, when I first found that out, you know, I was the type of person where it's like, ah, no big deal. I'll pay the 10 bucks. I'll get the membership. But the Lord kept stopping me. And he was like, he kept remembering, reminding me of one little old woman in my church who was 95 years old. And the Lord kept saying, if you get that membership, Mary is going to be unhappy. 
And I was like, Mary doesn't even know all this work that I do. You know, like, what's the big deal, Lord? And, but he kept bringing her up. So finally he said, okay, Lord, if you don't want me to get the membership, what do you want me to do? And the Lord gave me an even more difficult task. He said, I want you to pray for those who are heading up those programs in different areas uh, that are involved in the occult by name. And it was like, okay, but Lord, I can't even get access to their website now. Like, I don't know their names. How am I going to get their names or know who's running what, right? And really, the Lord was growing my faith. He wanted me to believe that nothing was impossible. And um, I, I finally, I surrendered. And within a week and a half, not only did I have a picture of each person's face, but I had their name as well. And I began to intercede for them um, every night. Now, one of the individuals in that group, the Lord told me that I needed to pray for him and intercede for him every time he was talking. He did a lot of public speaking and was out in the community a lot. So I began to intercede for him every time he was speaking. And sometimes it was six to eight hours a day. Um, But as I did for that next year, interceded for him, um, you know, I started to have these very interesting prayer times you know, where I begin to have very strong visions. And it was in one of those visions where, you know, literally I see him speaking, I'm praying for him as he's speaking. And all of a sudden the Lord says to me, put your hands on his chest. And I was like, okay, you know, so in faith, I just put my hands out and you know, was envisioning, I was putting them on his chest. And all of a sudden I feel these hands grab my hands back. And next thing I know, I see this guy's face as though he's standing right there with me, looking at me. And he says to me, what the hell do you think you're doing? And I was like, "Uh, Lord, my vision is talking to me. I'm not sure what to do about this, Lord. And as I, you know, continued, the Lord said, pray, pray for him to come out for his salvation. So I began to pray and pray. Now, as that prayer continued, um, there was a moment where, you know, I can't describe it, but all of a sudden the Lord just said to me, did you think I could not do it? And I was like, do what? And the Lord was like, did you think I could not raise him from the dead? And I was like, what? And the Lord said, here he is. This is your training partner. And I was like, no. And I was like, Lord, you're going to have to confirm it to me. And the Lord was so adamant in that. Um, You know, he said to me, um, he said, he saw the, he saw me let you out that door. During that ritual, that was one of the confirmations. He gave two others. Um, Later, I found out that not even Michael Carcock was dead, that they had moved him. So the whole death by fire thing, uh, literally the system had separated me and my training partner. And um, he was still doing his job, but they had told him that I had rejected him. 
And, um, you know, so anyway, then the Lord told me to reach out to him. And so I did. And I began to do that. So what was interesting in all that was that, you know, it really just shows the power of God. And he did all of that to prepare me for the, th- for the next stage that he was about to re- release in my life. Um, shortly after that revelation and, and my reaching out to my training partner, the Lord then, you know, I was uh, riding on the bus to go pick up homeless people uh, for the shelter that night uh, to come to the processing classes that I led. And uh, as I'm riding in the bus, the Lord says to me, you will be giving your testimony. And I knew it wasn't the watered down, hidden version I had learned, you know, to give to the churches all those years. Like I knew he meant I would be giving my testimony in full. And I said, Lord, you know, the system has, has sworn that if I tell, they will kill my children in front of my face. And I said, Lord, you know, I want to do your will, but I'm just asking, you know, I'm asking for that protection for myself and my children as I go forward. I'm just begging and pleading for that. And after I got done begging and pleading, the Lord immediately responded and he said, no. He said, you will do it right in front of their faces. And I knew in that moment that I had to choose. I had to count the cost. You know, was I willing, no matter what happened, even if all of my children were to be taken or murdered or horrifically killed, you know, for one child to save one child, was I willing to tell my story and to do whatever the Lord was calling me to do? And, you know, I chose, yes, Lord, for one child to not have to go through what I went through, I will give my story. Now, it did come at that price. Um, A year ago, I lost one of my sons, my 17-year-old son, Josiah, in a car accident. The same day that it was the morning that I uh, turned in an affidavit that was of the same area where he was currently residing. And it was on one of the roads named in that affidavit. Uh, I do not believe it was an accident. There were some other things that happened just prior to that, um, where I believe it was, you know, the system taking his life. Um, You know, and that was part of the, the cost for going forward. But, you know, the Lord, after that, he opened the doors. He opened the doors for me to begin to tell my story online. I started anonymously as Jane, as you had heard on Dan Duvall. Um, But shortly after that, the Lord, you know, caused some things to happen where, you know, I was on Good Dog Show and David Zublick. And, um, you know, I tried to remain anonymous and the Lord just said, no, Uh, put your name out there, let your face be seen. And that's when I began to speak, you know, publicly on several different platforms uh, weekly. So besides uh, Good Dog and Zublik, I spoke on Red, Red on Radio, and then still am on uh, The Reveal Report, Aquarius Rising, Africa. Um, uh, I did Carmen Studer. I did David Nino Rodriguez. 
are some that I'm on regularly. And then I also have the shows that I do weekly on Kingdom Living. Um, so as I begin to do those shows, you know, and turn in my testimony federally, there came the point where um, they requested that I turn it in an affidavit form. And uh, so last year is when um, those affidavits went from being with the U.S. military to being in the courts, and they were sealed in the courts. And then, um, you know, because we're not getting due process in there, I am now uh, pursuing to be heard before Congress uh, to share my testimony there and uh, receive my due process to share my my testimony in the courts. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> I think that's the shortest I have ever <laughs> given my story. That's pretty good. <laughs> well, uh, just wow. All right. So let me just bounce off of what you just said. Uh, so are, you're pursuing to sit down in front of uh, uh, Congress and tell your story. Correct. What are have you gotten confirmation from God that this is going to happen, or is this something that you're pursuing and you and you feel like there's good odds that you'll you'll have that opportunity? Um, I believe there's good odds that I'll have that opportunity, but we'll see what happens. Either that, or they will deny my justice and my rights, and then we'll see what happens. Yeah, uh, I I have a very hard time imagining seeing you do it. I, I, and I, I want to, I obviously, I mean, I think it would be fantastic for you and the world to really have, but man, like it, it I think it, cause that's what, why I it's phrased it. It's a big the qu- door that has to be open because it yeah. has been closed for so many years. Yes. You know, let's be truthful. The government does not want to hear about satanic ritual. Uh, they don't want to hear about the crimes uh, that have been committed through the government or the military to our children. I'm praying that there are a few good men and women there. Um, I'm praying that the weaponization committee that they that they want to hear. You know, this is the exact stuff that they were created to fight and go against. So I'm hoping that you know these are going to be men and women of integrity who will have you know myself as well as other survivors on to hear our stories and who will act according to you know their abilities. Um, to procure justice for us, so yeah, and I, I think that um, I think if it happens, it's just going to be it, it's going to be an act of God. I don't know how else to describe it, you know. And I think it would be um, hopefully very eye opening for millions of people, uh, right. and also half my family would no longer think I'm crazy. So that'd be good too. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, yes, let's make it happen. So people know I'm not crazy. (laughs) I'm not just making this stuff up. It really does happen guys. Um, But uh, you you said so much. Um, And I'm going to start actually off here with a a question that uh, I kind of just want a clarification. The, the spiritual gates is another way way of saying that would be portals? Yeah, portals would be another word for them. Okay. Uh, and these spiritual gates, you can instantaneously go from one place to another. So like you said, Chicago right. to Germany, um, which is how 
you didn't say it today, but I think I remember this from years ago. That like you, you would go from Chicago to Germany for training, right? And then come back and be like a night trip. Yeah. Right. Yep. It would happen during times I was supposed to be at school. So literally during the school day, and then I'd be home for dinner with my family that night. Yeah. Speaking of your family, uh, for clarification with that too, uh, mom and dad, uh, very aware of what's going on, right? Or they not? are now. Okay. They, yeah, they were not when I was a child. Um, they were not part actively part of the system. Um, my dad was never part of the system, um, you know, and had no clue as to what was going on. Uh, they, you know, usually my proctor, when we all sat down for dinner every night, she would put drugs in there and, you know, they would think they were up to like eight or nine, but really, you know, they were in bed by six every night. And, uh, you know, so that's how she kind of controlled things. And then, but now, yes, my family is, is aware, um, you know, there are family members that are not happy that I've come forward. But for my immediate family, they are all standing with me. Gotcha. Uh, and I imagine you coming forward, are, are they still the the bad side of the family or the people that uh, you have fled? Uh, if that's even the right word, fleeing. Uh, I'm not so sure you're fleeing anything right now. <laughs> um, but uh, I, are they in communication now in, in certain ways? I mean, it, you, you mentioned how you said that... Um, if you come forward, they would kill your family. Is that, and you said in a phrase in a way where it was like, they threatened you with this. So is there like constant communication? They're not constant, but yes, when they want to communicate, they do. Okay. Uh, and is that a very direct way or is it more like, here's a, a an unsigned letter? Oh no, that, you know, lots of different forms of ways that they communicate. So, you know, they have access to, any way you could think of, you know, including online with emails, but, um, you know, there'll be times that the world governing council will email me things and, you know, expect a response. And so however they want to access me, they do. Okay. Uh, as far as, uh, just keep it United States, uh, government leaders in the United States, have you been in communication? You don't have to name names if you don't want to, but have you been in communication with anybody that is, um, uh, there on your behalf, trying to get this to happen for you, as far as Congress goes. Um, I'll I'll say indirectly, but yes, there are people who are working on my behalf, who have been going forward with me both through the courts as well as uh, trying to help get me into before Congress. That's good, cool. Um, okay, you there. There's. So there's some stuff you said that I actually, uh, timing's everything. And because I haven't come out, I'm starting a new podcast based off a story that I received probably almost two years ago. And some of the things you said in here, I want to ask you about it, but I think I'm going to wait until we're done recording just because I can't go into the details publicly yet. Uh, But um, let me ask you this. You mentioned about uh, bail. is there, is there, uh, I think you said the nine brothers was, is that what you said? Or nine, nine generals, nine generals, nine generals, uh, and bail being one of them. Uh, is there anybody, is is there any, whatever you want to call them, demons, entities, uh, do they have an active role where they interact with, with people 
uh, on a regular basis? Yes, uh, the majority of them are highly involved, uh, both in our government and our U.S. military. Okay, and so when when they're involved, uh, I, mean, I imagine it's probably multiple ways to go about it. But uh, is there a time where they're manifesting, like right before you? Yes. Okay. Yeah, they also do have human hosts. So they will um, have their, you know, be in their host body sometimes, but other times, yes, they do manifest right in front of us. So, okay. Uh, and I, I figured that actually, I, I just, um, I, I, I try to, I try to ask questions uh, in the best way I can to get the point across without actually saying what I, what I think, you know, um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like, you let her into that answer. I'm not trying to, uh, <laughs> but uh all right, so you mentioned about 2024. Now, I think most Christians, when they hear you say that, would say, so that's when Christ is returning. Uh, is that how you perceive the no dates going beyond 2024? Or do you, do you perceive it being something else? Well, there's a lot that has to happen in the book of Revelations um, you know, before that time. So I, I would say, yes, I believe that we are in the last days. Um, but I would still put it out a little bit because there's a lot that we still have to see happen before, um, that end, you know, event where everybody's gathered at Armageddon. So, okay. Uh, I know there's, there's, um, I mean, I, I, everywhere I turn, it seems like there's a lot of uh, people now. Uh, looking to the sky in a sense where it's just like any time now, <laughs> like, and I think, I think there's, there's a certain level of desperation in it as well, where the world is going in a certain direction where people are like, Lord, I, I, I'm good whenever you're good. Like, let's just, let's get this, this party started. Um, so, uh, on that note, do you feel like the, if you feel, if you feel like we're living in the end times, uh, do you feel like the antichrist has already been born? I would claim that yes, he has. Okay. Do you have any information on that at all or no? I do, but you know, that's my biggest question that I cannot answer. Oh, really? I didn't even know. (laughs) (laughs) There's shows about it. I encourage people, you can go to Kingdom Living with Jesse.com. That's actually one of the first shows we did um, was about the Antichrist. And so in there, I give all the details that I can to help you navigate that question. Gotcha. Perfect. Uh, now, um, Elon Musk, is he really a genius or is, or, or is this something that like it's, uh, with what he's been involved in, he's just been privy to information that he uses to his advantage. I, I think there's a mix of both, you know? So I think it's, you know, some of it's older things that come out of, you know, more Nazi era, uh, with Joseph Mangala or others, um, the in the different projects and experiments they were doing, um, he also had family members that were direct Nazis. So, you know, I think all of that plays a role in that. But with that said, um, you know, there were things where he, I think, like every person, you know, he's got his own brilliance, things he's good at, skills that skill sets he has that nobody else has. So, yeah. You know, he always struck me as something something different about that guy. 
the way, there's no char- there's no charisma in his body. He's just very. I'm like, there's something off about you, sir. It, it's posture. <laughs> you know, everybody's trained in that system to have posture where, you know, you just you perfectly perform the things that you're taught to perform and very guarded, very. Uh, I guess I just describe it as posture. That's the best way to do it. So, do you believe that he's still active in that world, or do you think that he's kind of? Ex- I have great news on that. I have been told he is not. Uh, that he has come out, and uh, last month, uh, Timothy Charles Holmeseth, who's the journalist who has permissions to put out my affidavits and other information on my behalf, um, he put up a series called "What Did Elon Know?" or "What Does Elon Know." And, uh, you know, we've been told that Elon has uh, seen my affidavits, that he's seen my testimony about the things I claimed happened, happened to him as a child uh, through satanic ritual. Um, I've been told that he's um, confirmed those things, and I believe he's been given opportunity to testify of the satanic ritual he experienced as a child. And I pray that when my information comes forward and comes fully out, that his will as well. So we really need to pray for him. Um, he is working with us, and uh, we'll see where that goes. That's incredible. That's incredible. I mean, just to just to think about. I mean, obviously, uh, we're taught this whole thing has been circled around God doing miraculous things. Um, Absolutely. Can you like? Can you imagine just and not you per se, but the audience? I mean, you obviously this is your life. Um, but imagine Elon going one eighty off script and confirming what you are claiming and giving his side of the story. He's got almost what two hundred million followers on his own platform of Twitter. I mean, it, like th- that's something that would be earth shaking of course they're going to say he's crazy and of course they're going to try to you know sweep it under the carpet as he's lost like I, they'll, they'll give him some real bad t- treatment for sure but uh it would be just it would be total earth shattering there'd be so many people that would positively benefit from that and just be eye-open because they spent years hearing people like me say things and they're like these guys are just crazy and then all yeah. of a sudden elon's like nope not crazy at all like <laughs> We have to remember, it's exactly what the Lord says in Scripture in Haggai 2. He says, get ready, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth. He's going to do things that we can't even imagine or think of, you know, and we're watching it happen. Yeah, it, we really are. And it, it's, it's, been, it's, been a wild, it's been a wild journey the last, I'd say, six, seven years of my life, just having this podcast and looking into these different things. Um, it, it's been absolutely astonishing to see how things kind of unfolding right before my eyes. Uh, and, and honest, oddly, uh, when, when I was sitting here listening to you talk, I, um, I had a real, and I, and, and, and in the moment while you were talking, I, I acknowledged it to myself. I, I, I had a real sense of peace, uh, as you were speaking about certain topics. I mean, when you were talking about the the infants and stuff, that just made me really uncomfortable, but that that's just human. But there was a, there was a almost like a a spiritual sense of peace where I just I was hearing you say things, I was just like he's in control. You know, and and I think your story displays that several times throughout. Um I want to ask you 
a question about some of this stuff here where you mentioned about the high priestesses, uh, Gloria Vanderbilt, uh, and you know, I've talked about that on my show before. I probably got it from you actually. Um, but, uh, it, I, I, all right. So I've, I've bashed the music industry for a very long time. Uh, I used to be, I, I was, my dad, um, used to do gospel music and singing grew up in a household where music was everything. Uh, I got very disenfranchised with music uh, in my mid to late twenties, uh, and extremely in, in my early thirties when I started coming to understand what was going on. Um, is is Jay Z, in your opinion, as bad as I think he is? Because I think his wife might be even worse than him. Yeah, they both are. He he's a high priest for sure. Um, she is grand high priestess and took Gloria Vanderbilt's position. That's, that's what I thought. Uh, and I, I, I don't remember when I heard you talk about this stuff before, I wasn't sure if you, if back then you had said her name being the replacement or if you suggested it and I connected those dots. But, uh, my yeah. Lord, I remember, I remember that, uh, that Super Bowl uh, halftime show watching that. I was like, Holy cow. Holy cow. And and what the thing that, that caught me so by surprise is that the next day nobody thought anything of it. Like people who don't look into this stuff, they're just like, oh, it was a good performance. I'm like, how how can you say that there's nothing off about that at all? Uh it like it made my skin crawl. Um I, I so I got I got one I, I got I plenty of questions, but I'm not gonna keep dragging this out. I do want to ask you about this though. Um and this is something that I, I don't know if you've ever heard of before. I've I've I don't think I've ever brought this up to somebody of your caliper um for years ago episode 61 of my my show i had a guy on named zach king and uh he says that he at one time was a high wizard uh have you ever heard of high wizards yes okay because and here's the thing i i 100 believe zach's testimony uh Mm -hmm. but over the years i've had people say that they've never heard of such a thing and i'm like I don't know. So I wanted to ask you because you would be somebody who would know. Uh, he, he says that he would. Yeah, it depends on your type of where the terminology comes from is the type of magic. So usually if, if they're going by the term high wizard, um, other terms would be mega, magus, um, magnus, um, mega, um, that is going to come out of more of the thelemic magic um you could get some enochian gaotian magic in there um the type that you know my family was predominantly in was the solomonic um magic and then some of the enochian and then high forms of blood magic with necromancy so um but it just depends on usually the title would come out of the form of magic that you're studying. Gotcha. Um, so I, I did an interview recently, uh, not long ago, probably, it probably aired about a month or so ago from now. Uh, and it was a guy named James who is in the movie industry. He moved from L- uh, Atlanta to LA and a long, long story. I'm just going to get to it here. Uh, he wound up meeting a guy who took him to a party in the desert in Joshua tree. And while he was there, he spent over 24 hours there. Uh, at nighttime, he said things got wild. And um, 
he said that you know there's it was like a, a big rave scene. There's music playing, D, the twin DJs, uh, and he said he was in this tent and people were like transforming into like d- demonic entities and 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 vampires and crazy stuff. And he thought he was drugged at first. He goes out of the tent and has some interactions. But when he turned around, he sees this tent go up into the air and he said a green portal opened up underneath it. And he said there are people like up in the air and he was freaked out. There was, and, and it seemed like he was here, but not necessarily here. It seemed like he was almost like in a dimensional shift where and I've been calling it the bridge because it doesn't seem like he was in another realm, but it didn't seem like he was in this realm either. It was like almost like he was in the middle. Uh, and I don't know how else to describe it. That's how I perceive it. Um, in his story, though, uh, he said that there was a guy walking around in a Mad Hatter hat. And he's like, it just kind of passed over it. And one of my listeners had said that, you know, in episode 61, Zach King said that he looked, the way he would dress when he was a, a high wizard was what was depicted in the one pink music, music video called um, uh, Something Pill, I think. Uh, but in the video, you see this guy in like a, a, a tall top hat and dressed almost like a, an old timey clothing. And he's like casting spells over Pink while she's singing. And he said, that's a high wizard. And so what I did was I took a screenshot of that and sent it to James. And I said, did the guy look like this in the Mad Hatter hat? And he said, during the day, he didn't have as nearly as much face paint on, but at night, that's exactly what he looked like. And I was like, holy crap. So no wonder why you had a portal opening up and a tent flying in the air. Like you had a high wizard there, man. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, you could get different positions with that, with that style of closing because you'll also get the grand high priests will wear that um you also have the regent lords who are vampire regent lords will wear that um so it could be either of those three you could have the grand high wizards wear that as well so wow okay see i, I didn't know any of that uh yeah um but it, it really struck me so here's uh here's one thing i, I we, you and i were talking earlier and I had told you about the Germany idea I had, and, I, and the, the way you the way you kind of like shrugged that, I was like, "She's probably thinking I'm crazy for even thinking about doing something like that." Uh, but we, me and my friend, you know, we were talking, and his wife, his family's, her family's in uh, Germany, and we thought about going over there and trying to find the castle. Um, but I say that because I tend to do things that sometimes are not very uh, rational, um, and my my wife has come to accept parts of me when it comes to this stuff. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm almost a hundred percent sure. I know that the, I know the location of where this happened at, and I'm almost a hundred percent sure. I know when they're going to do it again. Would you, if, if I told you I was going to go out there and try to, uh, observe from a distance, is that a bad idea or is that like, okay, as long as you don't interact with them? We could talk off air about that. Okay, perfect. In fact, on that note, we're going to end the show. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Jesse, before we end the show, though, tell people again where they can find you about your event, uh, the websites, the books, anything you'd like. Yeah, definitely. Um, all of my information, books, all of that, uh, courses you can find on my website, kingdomlivingwithjesse.com. Uh, the other website is illuminatethedarkness.com. And I encourage you to check it out. And the event tickets are 
only on sale for a couple more weeks. Uh, we would like a packed house. So if you can come, I'd love to meet you. Let me know you saw me here on Tony Merkel's show. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy, please share the show with your friends. I don't care where or how you share the show. Just share the show if you enjoyed it because that's the best thing you can do to help the show grow. Share the show. Also, friends, just a reminder, if you haven't done so yet, you might be out of luck because these tickets are going crazy fast. So if you waited the last two hours to do it, you might be out of luck. But go ahead and check it out. Shapeofshadows.com. Theshapeofshadows.com. Get your tickets to the town hall, the Q&A, and the advanced screening of our new film, The Shape of Shadows. This is going to be hosted by myself and Wes Germer. I'm very excited about it. You should be too. If you're going, I'll see you there. And until next week, friends, stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free, but first, it'll piss you off. Bye. Source from the cherubim lies on me like wings from a seraphim.